six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. Good afternoon, Mas- Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Maldrow, and this is a public affair. Today, we're going to be talking to two folks who are going to let us know about art that is happening right here, right now at Art Lit Lab here in Madison. Joining us today is Rosie Petrie and Jim, I'm sorry, Crow, the Public Programs Coordinator at all. Rosie, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited to talk about your show, American Altars. Um, it took you one month and 1,400 miles to create to take the photos that are now being featured at Art Literature Lab. What do you want folks who are listening to know about this show, and why should they go see it? Well, um, the show is kind of a journey through time like through temporary time as well as kind of the historical time of our civil rights realities so the photographs are not actually from the trip not all of them are from the trip but they're they're kind of to evoke the feeling of what it was like to make that trip mm. Thank you so much for for bringing this art to Madison. Jim, do you want to talk to us a little bit about how you decide who is going to be featured at Art Lit Lab? Yeah, we we have a visual arts uh, uh, curatorial board made up of various artists in the community. Um, The membership sort of rotates as uh, people come in and out of Madison and uh, have... uh, uh, time to commit to going over um, proposals and uh, ideas that are submitted by uh, other um, other uh, uh, committee members. And, uh, you know, we have um, uh, uh, exhibition submission forms uh, on, on our website, which is uh, artlitlab.org. And, um, uh, you know, so there's a, a combination of different ways that uh, we network and, and contact artists to um, uh, uh, create opportunities for uh, exhibitions on our on our walls. If you're a local artist and you're interested, maybe you have some questions for Jim about how you would get your work at Art Literature Lab. Maybe you have some questions for Rosie about what inspired her show. Give us a call today at WORT 89.9 FM at 608-256-2001 and our team will patch you through. We'd love to hear from you and huge shout out today to our engineer Emmett, our receptionist Patty, our producer Jade and our news director Sholly Pittman. I want to jump back into this conversation about your work and what it meant for you to create American Altars, Rosie. Um, Rosie Ch- Petrie is, uh, na- was just named the inaugural artist-in-residence at the Bell Hook Center of Bria in Kentucky. On her way to that position, Rosie took a solo trip that took her one month and 1,400 miles. Some of the photos she took on that trip are now part of her solo show, American Altars. American Altars is showing now through September 1st at Art Lit Lab here in Madison. Joining us today, we have Rosie Petrie and Jim Quell, the public programs coordinator at all. Uh, And I want to jump back into kind of talking to you, Rosie, about, you know, what people can expect from this show, um, kind of how you decided on this body of work um, and what what it means to you to bring American Altars to Madison. Okay, um, so it's kind of an interesting and complex story. Let's start with how did it get to Madison? Um, So a few years ago, I guess it was about two years now, or last year maybe, I participated in the Madison Biennial at the Museum of Wisconsin Art, or the the Museum of Madison Museum of Modern Art, and there was the first time ever that there had been a guest curator. Um, so the curator was from my community and invited me to participate in the show, which was kind of an honor. It was the first time that like so many regional Black women would get to show their work together in this kind of setting. So unfortunately, there were a lot of uh, controversies around that show and around what happened to artists and our work. 
and it left a sour taste in my mouth about my experience of Madison and the art scene. Mm. And I kind of swore after that I was not going to show there again. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. We've come a long way. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I So when I got the ask about um, doing the show, at first I was going to say no. Uh, mostly because I just didn't want to go through the inconvenience of like what to me feels very consistent with, you know, Wisconsin and Madison culture, which would be like these microaggressions, mm-hmm. um, wanting to see my work, uh, wanting my work to be in the spaces and the places, but to not welcome my body or my community to those places. Okay, Rosie, don't so hold back. it's kind of complicated. No, it is. And I so, <laughs> I so appreciate you naming those things because I think so often in a place like Madison, people want to think of this as a really friendly and a welcoming community for everybody. And that just isn't the case. Um, and I think in order to change that, you have to be honest about what, what that's like. So knowing that you had that kind of initial experience or bad taste in your mouth around this community, what changed your mind? What shifted you to, to wanting to... to you know, give give this community access to work you poured your heart and soul into. Honestly, when I show, <clears throat> excuse me, when I show bodies of work that center and talk about Black experience, I'm doing it for Black people living that live in the communities that I'm showing in. Um, it's so seldom that we get to experience ourselves, our narrative, our expression in these cultural venues that, you know even though my physical body does not want to be in that space, there are bodies like mine in those spaces that might need to see that work to feel, feel seen, to feel heard, to feel like they're not alone. Mm. So that's kind of why I said yes. Oh, I, I'm so grateful. And I feel like that's so incredibly generous of you. And as a person of, of color, as a black woman in Madison, I can completely understand why somebody would say, um, the space does not feel welcoming to me. And, how how necessary it is to elevate a voice like yours in a community like this. Jim, hearing what, what Rosie just spoke to, what does it mean for you to bring in an artist who, you know, is intentionally trying to reach communities of color, is, is in conversation directly with Black people? And what is the responsibility of the Art Lit Lab to make sure diverse audiences are exposed to the work that's shown there? Well, it's certainly uh, uh, a priority for us to uh, have diversity in our programming. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it certainly um, is a challenge to uh, make sure we live up to that responsibility. Um, uh, and, um, I mean, we're very grateful for the opportunity to uh, show this work and, uh, um, and uh, work of others. Um, you know, we just finished up a uh, exhibition of uh, Romano Johnson, a uh, very successful exhibition um, uh, previous to the current exhibition. And um, so, uh, you know, we, there's always more to be done. So, you know, we can't, uh, uh, you know, pat ourselves on the back for, uh, you know, individual uh, successes or, you know, um, uh, you know, we always have to keep striving to do better. So uh, I... I uh, I'm confident that uh, working with the um, curatorial board, as I mentioned, and uh, getting feedback from artists uh, as they uh, uh, work within the space, making sure we're doing uh, doing right by the artists. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, improve the reputation of uh, Madison for uh, artists of color. I would I would love for us to improve the reputa- reputation of Madison. I would also just like for us to improve the conditions of, of our community. It's great to hear that Art, Liter- Art Lit Lab um, is committed to diversity, is committing to making sure that all kinds of people can show their work there. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm on the air today with Rosie Petrie, who is a mother, self-taught artist, storyteller from Milwaukee. Her multidisciplinary works fuse fabric, portraiture, multimedia storytelling, and illusion as an act of witness. American Alters is Rosie's solo show now at Art Lit Lab in Madison. In her own words, American Alter 
Alters is Rosie's attempt at embodying a journey of cultural remembrance, ancestral grief, and emotional reckoning required of Black people on the move in America, of all generations from all post-insurrection perspectives. Rosie, when you were creating this this solo show, um, what was what was kind of happening in in your life? What inspired you to create this? And then I guess thinking back to kind of how you discovered yourself as an artist, um, your bio says self-taught. How did you realize um, or claim your potential um, as a creative person, as a as a person who wants to make art? You know, I was somebody who was really lucky. Um, I met. A mentor. I was in college. I was maybe 22 years old. I had been making art my whole life, but I didn't think that was a job that you could have. Like that, like that gave you real money. Like I, it just wasn't a choice. Um, and I was the oldest kid. I was going to be the first one to go to college. I had to go pick something serious. Um, so while I was in college, we had a day-long symposium on the new Jim Crow. And as part of that symposium, there was this fantastic exhibition of black artists locally um, that now I kind of, I would say are like my foundational regional teachers here. So Della Wells kind of organized the show. Um, Evelyn Patricia Terry, Motopia Johnson, Sonji Hunt, um, Munir, um, just seeing these black artists who are older than me expressing these, these kinds of works, these feelings, these questions in an academic setting where very few people look like me, where very few people understood the complexity of like historical blackness, um, it was game changing. And so I approached Bella and I basically bothered her until she agreed to do an interview with me for the radio station and the newspaper and also answer any and all questions I might have about being an artist. So she brought me on my first trip down south to an art festival i drove her down and for 16 hours i grilled her about everything that she did and how she got started and what it was like and she was like well you know maybe you should become an artist and i just let that ferment for a really long time (laughs) until about five years ago when i guess i took her seriously i was just sick of being sick of having things that i hated i was sick of getting fired and quitting I was sick of like having to be the person to stand up. I was just tired. And so I quit my job and I decided to give art making a go full time. Mm. I think so many of us have been told that art is not a real job, that it is, um, you know, that it's something, it's a hobby. And I think looking at your art specifically, um, you know, I think when, when black people make art about being black, um, there's often questions about who all your art is relevant to um, and who all will consume and purchase your art and should consume and purchase your art. Uh, are you are you critical of, you know, how who can afford to to buy a piece by you, who who has access to the arts world um, and, and what that means as an artist who who needs to be able to have an income um, and simultaneously as somebody who pours a ton of work in, into what you do and has every right to make art that is, you know, expensive or, or that is, you know, that people have to invest in your time and effort for. Can you talk a little bit about the, the balance around who gets to consume art and own art and buy, buy your work? Sure. Actually, I try to be pretty equitable, equitable about that because there was a time in my life where I couldn't afford art. I still sometimes, like, I mean, I can't afford art right now, but like what I do and what I have done um, is I will make limited runs of prints that are postcards. So they're functional, they're usable, but they're also a dollar, you yeah. know? So if, if there's a series of work that I think is especially important that people see and are talking about and are engaging in dialogue about, I will try to make a small print run. Um, And I do make works of different sizes, different media. The amount of energy and effort um, indicates the cost. It's it's labor, right? Yeah. And a lot of the work I'm I'm doing is about equity and about justice. And so I want to make sure that I'm adequately compensated for my creative labor. However, 
I also think the kind of work I'm doing is really important to be seen by regular people. And ideally, under many circumstances, I've been able to do works for public collections so that the imagery is available and people can see it and understand it and appreciate it and see themselves in it. I so deeply appreciate that answer and the nuance and the thoughtfulness of of what you just spoke to. Jim, can I ask you, when people come and and see the work at uh, at Art Lit Lab, um, will they be able to purchase the work that is on display? How does how does that work for you all? Do you all sell um, the pieces that that artists bring to you or are are folks coming simply to observe um, and experience the work in that space? Uh, our focus is on the exhibition of, of the of the work. So uh, when inquiries about uh, sales and people interested in purchasing work happens, um, we put them in the uh, you know in touch with the artist directly so that that can be uh, negotiated and so forth. So no sort of transactions here um, at Arts Art Lit Lab itself. Um, but uh, you know the um, it's uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to see the work though and. Uh, you know, we have uh, some of the uh, uh, some of the uh, portrait paintings uh, from Rosie as well on our first floor, um, what we call our project space. So it's the first thing you see when you come into Art uh, Art Little Lab. I should back up and say where we are so people can find it. Uh, we're at uh, 111 South uh, Livingston Street, which is at the corner of East Main and Livingston. So we're across the street from the Sylvie, if people know where that is, a little landmark for it. And... Um, and then the main um, uh, American altars uh, uh, pieces uh, are up on the uh, second floor mezzanine, and um, uh, you know the um, the gallery hours are um, you know usual business hours during the week. Although we have a uh, um, summer art youth youth camp uh, going on, so it's a little hectic during the week. But the best time to see it is on the, on Saturday. The gallery is open uh, noon to five p.m. And people can uh, take their time uh, uh, with the work. Thank you for for speaking to that, Jim. You, Rosie, you talked a little bit about how you are are conscious of making your work accessible, and you also talked about the amount of time it it takes to create the pieces that you make, which look um, in, incredibly intricate and and in astoundingly beautiful. Is the work that you're currently showing the work that is part of this exhibition? American Altars, is that work for sale? The work is for sale. Um, and what's kind of cool about that, that painted series down on the first floor actually, is that's a really good example of like a community collaborative project where a neighborhood that is really, really active in self-advocacy wanted to create a, um, a campaign to get people to slow down when they're driving through the neighborhood because there's lots of kids. And so we worked with a local arts organization and we did photographs of the community members. I got to talk with them, get to know them, hear about them and meet them. And we turned those images into street signs and banners encouraging people to slow down. When the project was finished, I kind of kept going on those pieces and they became different than most of my other work. So I usually work in textiles or in printmaking those are digital images with watercolor and acrylic ink washes and gold leaf. And it is just such a different experience of media because of getting to meet those folks and feeling how they felt about their neighborhood and about each other. And I want to put that into work, you know, and now they they have those pieces in their community as basically street art. I get to show these pieces out in the world and then get to talk about that community and what they do to make their place better. Do you feel like you're in collaboration with the people who commission work from you? Do you think that, you know, you, you, when someone commissions uh, a piece or a project from you, do you feel like you push yourself as an artist um, to help actualize their vision? Um, How does that, how does that work? If somebody's out there like, Hey, I'm interested in, in using an artist to, make a campaign about the environment. Um, what does what that collaborative experience with folks who commission your work look like? And how do people I get a hold of you to do that? Sure. Um, well, I think, let me answer the question about commission first. I think commissioning can be really dicey. Hmm. Um, it's a case-by-case situation for artists. 
but I think sometimes people see artists as the the means to the end and they mm-hmm. don't realize that what artists really are are visionary specialists and it's not just it's not a build-a-bear project it's very personal it's an individual experience and it's a it's something that's pretty special and so some artists might say yes to any and all commissions that come their way because it's great to get paid and to be able to exist under capitalism right so I prefer when I am doing a commission to be trusted because if someone is not trusting me as an artist and trusting my process and they're seeing me as something to be consumed or as a machine to generate their ideal output, they're not going to be happy with the work. I'm not going to be happy with the work. So I try to be really careful about how I choose projects and what I say this to. Um, And it does help if, I have a relationship with the the community that's asking for the work or with the topic. So like, for example, um, I'm pretty heavily invested in the environment. I, I grew up on the shores of Lake Michigan. I care about the environment. I also care about like indigenous culture and rights. And those things are intertwined because of where we live. But I mean, I'm also a black woman with a gay parent. Like there's just, there's things that, are intersectional and real for me that I use those as ways to determine what projects are right for me. Oh, I so greatly appreciate that explanation. And I'm curious if somebody out there is listening, Rosie, and they think, oh, I would love to work with you. How do they get a hold of you? What does that process look like of saying, hey, I want to work with you on this campaign or I want to work with you on this street art or I want you to come out um, and work with our young people around what it what it means to be an artist? How does somebody uh, find find their way into your into your world? I think the easiest and most effective way in terms of like strategy and collaborative business approach would be to contact my gallery. Um, I have a gallery uh, partnership with another black owned business in in Harlem. It's called Calabar Gallery, and she is basically my my artistic representation right now. So you would get in touch with her. Thank you so much for sharing that info right here on WORT 89.9 FM. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Ali Muldrow, and today we're talking with artist Rosie Petrie. And I'm sorry, we're talking with artist Rosie Petrie. Rosie is currently has a solo show at Art Lit Lab titled American Altars. Also on the line with us today is James Krell, the Public Programs Coordinator at All. If you have any questions for Rosie or for James, give us a call at 608-256-2001. Our team will patch you through. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to ask about this show, to ask about this work, um, and to ask what else is going on at Art Lit Lab. Jim, I imagine in your role you get to, you know, you get exposed to a ton of art, um, you get exposed to a ton of artists. What does it look like for you to decide who will be featured with, who you're going to partner with at Altlit Lab? Um, what are you looking for in in the shows that you bring to to our community here in Madison? Well, it's a, it's a very rewarding job, especially, uh, you know, when you're able to interact with the audience uh, or, or patrons as they look at the art or come to concerts or come to film screenings or poetry readings. And, um, you know, uh, especially uh, post-COVID, I think uh, we really appreciate now the shared artistic experience uh, that we uh, didn't realize we needed so much (laughs) uh, until we didn't have it. Um, And so uh, among the rewards of the job are, you know, those uh, shared aesthetic experiences with uh, audience members. And and the idea of, um, you know, bringing things uh, to town, either, you know, uh, artists from outside of town or, you know, local artists and giving them a platform to uh, show their work. It's, um, you know, it's it's very rewarding. Um, I, I couldn't remember the second half of that question. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I was asking kind of how do you what are you what are you looking for when you decide to bring somebody to Madison? What do you think Madison needs from from artists or, or from Artlet Lab? Well, um, you know, to go specifically with to projects I'm working on, um, 
you know, I do a, a film series called um, uh, Mills Folly Microcinema, and we actually have a, a, a screening on uh, or an event on Wednesday, this Wednesday at seven o'clock. Um, and, uh, you know, there just isn't a, um, a consistent venue for experimental film and, and video art uh, in Madison. Uh, it happens occasionally in some of the campus screenings and uh, you know, series and so forth. But in terms of like non-campus um, venues, uh, there's it's pretty hard to see this kind of work. So, um, you know, uh, and in other cases, you know, other aspects of our organization, um, you know, on the literary side, um, our um, our um, watershed poetry series, which is once a month, again uh, combines uh, you know guests uh, uh, from out of state as well as uh, local. Uh, uh, local artists, and, um, you know, trying to um, bring forth things that people aren't aware of and uh, giving them an opportunity to, uh, again, have that shared experience. Jim, thank you so much for talking about your own your own work as an artist, as the, the artist and curator for Mills Folly Micro Cinema Film Series. Do you feel like part of your job is to give up-and-coming artists kind of a break um the people that maybe our community is less aware of do you feel like do you remember the first people who who showed your work who highlighted your work who who opened doors for you um and do you think that part of your role is to be that for other people yeah certainly in terms of my own role uh you know programming uh, the specific programs that i directly work on but also as an organization it's in, it's important for us uh uh to have uh um, opportunities, uh, not just to exhibit and show work, but also, um, uh, you know, uh, opportunities for professional development so that uh, people can learn how to network and, uh, you know, make the transition from, you know, someone who uh, might be uh, working on their art by themselves to someone who can get their work out there. Um, in fact, we have a program called Bridgework, um, and Bridgework is a program for sort of uh, uh, artists relatively early in their career, but they're not sure exactly what the next step should be in terms of professional development. And um, we've had uh, now a, a series of artists come through that program. Uh, part of the program is, of course, uh, having an exhibition of their work, uh, but also um, networking with uh, other organizations around the state to give them uh, uh, exhibition opportunities at, at other venues as well as learning about uh, networking and um, uh, various um, uh, skills that are needed in terms of like what uh, museums or gallery spaces would uh, need uh, to, to be able to show, uh, uh, show work. So uh, both on the front of, um, uh, you know, showing work, just, you know, using our walls to show work, we're also interested in uh, that kind of professional development. And if people are interested in that uh, bridge work program, the deadline for the next round is actually coming up. Um, uh, Monday, July 31st is the application deadline for um, uh, for that. So if anyone listening is, uh, you know, sort of in that state of their artistic career and they would like, uh, you know, to learn more about um, uh, opportunities for professional development, um, uh, they can find the application at artlittlelab.org. Thanks so much for sharing that opportunity. If you're an artist and you have questions about the opportunities that Jim is referencing, give us a call at 608-256-2001. Or if you want to ask our the artist that we are featuring today, Rosie Petrie, um, about her work and, and her career, please give us a call. The number is 608-256-2001. Our team will patch you through. Rosie, I want to ask... How does this experience in Madison, bringing this body of work to Madison, um, how has that been going for you in comparison to kind of the last time you were here when you swore off Madison? Is is there a difference or do you feel like you are, are just uh, more aware that you're going to navigate a series of microaggressions as a part of featuring your work here? So one of the kind of inquiry processes for me around this show was like being like, hey, so I participated in the show. This was my experience. This is how I feel about Madison in general. Um, what is your protocol or strategy expectation for me as an artist? Like, am I about to be put into a harmful situation? Basically was the question. And 
one of the staff members actually used to work at the museum and she was like, I actually, or they were like, I left the museum because I wasn't okay with what was happening. So it was kind of clear that we had already, we were starting off on the same page, that that was a problem, that it was not acceptable and that that's not what we would be doing. Um, however, I did decline doing any public um, talks or lectures. So like there was, you know, we, we came to consensus about what, what was okay for me, what worked for me, what felt good. And we've gone with that. So, so far, so good. I, I greatly appreciate, one, hearing that boundary for you and the fact that you're not really talking directly to Madison about this work, um, but here you are on WORT 89.9 FM. And so if people want to be in conversation with you about the work, this is kind of the opportunity they have to to be in that conversation. So the number is 608-256-2001. Um, you heard it from Rosie. She's she's not going to be uh, available to, to discuss the, the work beyond, you know, I guess, conversations that look a little bit more like this. Um, what were the things that made you want to to not engage in conversation with the with the general public about your work? Were there were there things specific to Madison or is that something is that a boundary you have? Um, in other spaces uh, where you're showing your work? I think it depends on the circumstance. Again, trust is really important. I've been in lots of situations as a professional artist where I was made to like feel uncomfortable or like I had to do something a certain way because that was how it's done. But really at the end of the day, like as an artist, I'm a small business, I'm my boss. I get to decide what work looks like for me and what it doesn't look like for me because literally I pay my bills. So when I make these kinds of choices, it's not only for like my mental health, it's also to make sure that like I can sustainably continue to show work like this. Thank you so much for for speaking to that and for naming those boundaries and kind of what informs those boundaries. And for, for naming that you are your own boss. Um, I think for a lot of us, that it's hard to imagine that. It's hard to imagine working for yourself and answering to yourself um, and being accountable, you know, to, to your own, you know, standards. Talk a little bit about kind of the process of, of making art. As your own boss, do you, you know, do you have a certain amount of hours in the week that you that you give to do this? What what does it look like for you to to create? Um, and then can you talk a little bit about the other side of this, which is what does it mean to promote yourself as an artist? What does it mean to to find places that will feature your work? What it what did it look like for you early on in your career um, to, you know, get your work in front of people who could help you find your audience? Okay, that was a lot of questions, so we're going to take it apart. Thank you. Um, studio practice is, I think, the central part of being a professional artist. It's not um, it's not romantic like the internet makes it look like, like you just wake up and you just feel inspired and you go and, you know, paint an oil painting or something. Um, I wake up every day pretty early. I'm usually downstairs in the studio around 6 in the morning. And that's just because that's when I'm awake and it's quiet. So I can put in a couple of hours before my family is awake. And then I'll take a break, have some more coffee. And I'll usually work until either three or five, depending on how leisurely my lunch break is or how long I need to, you know, look out the window, whatever that looks like. I mean, I show up every day. I'm in there for a long time. Um, something doesn't always happen, but I always show up. Um, the second part about like the, the discipline or the accountability or whatever of being a professional artist, it's just like any other business, it's any other job. And even more so, I think it's, it's unique in that it is more atelier. It is customer service, it's art history, it's understanding the markets, it's understanding what's happening globally um, with art and with people who are working in your field. Um, there's actually a huge field of like black quilters and textile artists and like we're having a moment right now which nobody saw that coming you know but like there are people to learn from there are things to do there are people who are just getting into 
this kind of media or this kind of work and practice. And it's, um, it's really important to just keep, keep in touch with what's happening. It's not, it's not just that lone genius in the studio stuff. It's, it's a bit more than that. I really appreciate that you named kind of the, the fiber optic arts or, or tactile arts or quilting um, and, and the black community's relationship to that. I don't think when you think of kind of more crafting based arts that people jump to associate that with the black community. Can you talk a little bit about how you discovered quilting um, and why that's a medium you created? Sure. I grew up around quilters. Both of my grandmothers made quilts. Um, I have a white grandmother from like Iron Mountain, Michigan area and a black grandmother from Carthage, Mississippi. And they both made quilts in very different ways and for very different reasons with very different materials, different aesthetics, like everything. It was night and day. Um, my grandmother from up here, her quilts were like these very technically proficient, very patterned and studied um, displays of, of craft and artistry of mastery of that craft. Whereas my grandmother's Southern quilts were, these are necessity quilts. They are made of what is around, what is available. They had character. They were warm. They had a weight to them. They felt like home. And I think just growing up around those kinds of textiles in a useful and functional way, like you can't take that away from somebody like mentally, spiritually, like there is just something about being in a quilt that is made of the things worn by the people that you love. Mm. And so I think there's a combination of both that, like that precision piecing from one grandmother and that um, practical hospitality from the other that draw me to textiles, as well as their accessibility. They're not expensive to work with. Um, they're everywhere. And if you travel, sometimes you're privileged enough to see how a community or a culture's textiles reflect their values, their ideas, their aesthetic. So I just, I love everything about it. Oh, I, I feel like you can hear how much you love it. And as you were talking about <laughs> the quilts your grandmother's made, it just like I felt warm. I felt like you were like kind of hugging us with your with your voice in these descriptions um, because, wow, like what what beauty. And I think to recognize that culture informs the way we approach something, even if we're doing the same thing, um, the the difference can be, you know, profound. Um you know, based on based on where we're coming from. Jim, I, I want to talk to you a, a little bit about what it, it looks like to feature different kinds of work. So what is it? How, how did you all, you know, put together this exhibit? Um, how do you want people who walk into Altlit Lab or all? How do you want them to experience Rosie's work? And how is it displayed in order to encourage that experience? Um. You know, as I, I uh, started explaining the uh, sort of the uh, map of uh, the galleries uh, in my, my early response to so that, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the series of portraits are sort of the first thing uh, people see when they uh, when they come into our, our facility, and then um, you know the uh, the the main uh, American altars uh, section, you know, has its uh, its its own space where um, and and uh, Rosie can speak to this in more uh, detail, um, but uh, there's um, an opportunity to uh, respond to que a question, a key question, in, on one of the altars, and uh, submit that on paper and uh, uh, put it in one of the uh, uh, one of the boxes that's part of the altar. Um, so you know, I think um, there's uh, you know various ways to interact with uh, a lot of the different um, pieces that we have on display currently. Um, you know, beyond um, uh, beyond uh, Rosie's exhibition, we also have uh, in the main galleries um, uh, uh, an exhibition called uh, um, Aesthetics of Loss, which uh, in which artists are dealing with uh, the loss of a family member or a loved one. 
and uh, you know they're also creating different opportunities for people to engage with the uh, with the work. This past weekend, we had uh, a performance uh, uh, called the um, uh, Care Shower, um, which uh, um, sort of uh, helped people understand the transition from uh, you know being a, a, a a typical family member to being a caregiver to someone within uh, your family. So, um, you know, we try to um, uh, not just uh, place uh, work on the wall. We also try to think about different ways uh, uh, people can engage with the ideas behind the work. Jim, thank you so much for for speaking to kind of the the different ways the work is displayed, the different ways folks can interact with the work, and also highlighting the the other show that is happening at Art Lip Lit Lab right now. Turning our attention back to American Altars, if you're just joining us, you're listening to a public affair on WORT eighty nine point nine FM. Madison. My name is Ali Maldrow, and today we're talking with artist Rosie Petrie. Rosie currently has a solo show at Art Lip Lit Lab titled American Alters. She's an artist from Milwaukee. You have Wisconsin roots, Rosie. Do you feel like because you're from Wisconsin, um, that Wisconsin has been more willing to receive you as an artist, has celebrated you more as an artist, or do you feel like uh, the truth is, is that it's easier for for you to to get work to be seen, to be celebrated outside of the community you're from. It is a lot easier for me to actually work outside of my community. Ouch! Um, I knew you were going to say know. that. I knew you were going to say it, but I just I was hoping that we that Wisconsin was getting better. We can all hope and dream, and that's that's the point and the objective. But like the reality of it is, is it's like. I live in a city that has been somehow voted one of the best places in America to live and the worst place for black people in the country. If those two things are true at the same time, there is a third truth that nobody's putting in their magazine. You know what I'm saying? So leaving here, like leaving here and going on that trip, um, like, and doing this kind of work, like to leave this place and go to some place that has been like historically traumatic and feel relief is wild. Like, so that, that trip, the first thing I did was like, I got into my car and on the first day I drove to Clarksdale, Mississippi. And it was the first time I had been outside in two years and I had gotten my vaccination and I was like in the streets, but I was also in Mississippi driving on red dirt roads, thinking about my, my dad's family And then also seeing for the first time in American history, a Mississippi flag with a magnolia flower instead of a Confederate flag on it. Hmm. Like all of that was happening simultaneously. And like, it was safer for me to be in Mississippi with my body than it was to be in Wisconsin, you know? And I've had that experience when I've traveled to a point where even still, it shocks me sometimes that I have to reassess my physical and emotional safety outside of the context of being in Wisconsin. I I so deeply identify with what you just said, and yet I think like it's it's kind of a heartbreaking reality um, when you when you call a place a home. Um, or when you call a place your home, you're from a place and and you know that it is easier for you to be celebrated and recognized um, almost anywhere but here. I as as a writer, I think about, you know, art that I created early in my career um, and how critical I am of that because, you know, my analysis has has changed significantly from what I was writing about as a young person or as a teenager in comparison to what I, I create now as a mother of three and a, a middle-aged lady. Um, have you had those moments where you look back at earlier work and go, oh, I'm not really in that place anymore. That doesn't actually represent the way I think about that anymore. I think the thing that changes for me mostly is style. I have been relatively solidly politically formed for most of my life. Um, I got a good public school education. Um, I had excellent teachers like in that way, like I'm able to self teach because I was taught how to learn. And I think the action of creating 
is really just about the action. It's not about the outcome. If something good happens, like congratulations, but that's not why you sat down. Oh, I completely uh, agree with that. Do you, do you take into consideration the way people interpret your work, the way people respond to your work, Rosie? Um, have you ever had somebody say, oh, this means this to me, and, and you think to yourself, that's not actually what I meant? All the time. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> talk talk a little bit about that. Talk about what, what, you, what you mean versus what people take away, and, and what does feedback around this work really sound like and look like for you? I don't know that I take feedback around the work um, because that's not really what it's for. It's really about having an experience. And so one of the interesting things about the show that's up right now at all is part of the American altar is an interaction, which asks people for two things or really three things. One, to take a moment to believe that black people are sacred Two to admit that there have been times where you have failed a black person. Like you, you can admit that not only to yourself, but you can write it down on a piece of paper and you can stick it in a confession box and just let that be known. Air that truth. Um, if you are not black, please use that, that space and that reference. Um, and then the second or the, the third piece is like, after you have accepted that black people are sacred, that you have failed black people, you can make a reparation on the spot. There is a cash box in the exhibition. Um, I don't need to hear about the emotional processing of white guilt. I'm not interested in that as part of my work. Um, that's what therapy is for. Um, however, I think it's really important to create spaces where we are acknowledging the, the complicated and complex history of this place uh, racially, um, how it's also tied into spirituality, how it can be co-opted into people's beliefs or re religion and used as a weapon. And then like also that no one has an ownership on what expression looks like or what soul work is, you know, so it's kind of this, it's more of an experience for the people to have with the work. It's not about me. It's not about me and them. It's not about them unburdening themselves to me. That's, that's a reckoning that they need to have with themselves. And for black folks or other people who just want to feel like they're not alone, the work for them should be a sanctuary. The work for them should be um, an acknowledgement. It should be a witness. It should be a reminder that also we have historically survived and survival has kind of been the act of radical continuation. So, like, how people interact with that work is really up to them and their experience. Um, and if that work is too much, take yourself down into that first floor space and look at the, the series that is called The Wealth of Our Nations. And spend time reflecting on, like, these luminous black faces surrounded by gold. Mm. And just, like, be with that, you know? I think reparations is one of the most controversial things you can talk about. Um, I think people have a really hard time with the idea um, that black people, that, that our society is indebted to the black community, that black people are owed something. How do people respond to that? And I guess when I say how do people respond to that, part of that question is, are people giving reparations? At what rate? How much? Where do those reparations go, Rosie? Um, the reparations in the show go in my pocket to continue the work. Um, get it. People gave some. I, I wouldn't say people gave a lot, but that's also not, that's not, again, the final objective of it. But I don't think, I think people just want to not be responsible for like the reality of what privilege has given them. And like, even for me, like, I know that there are areas of privilege that I have, and I have a responsibility to address that privilege in my community in ways that are appropriate and necessary. So I, I want to provide the opportunity. I want to make it something that's commonplace. It's very much like you're seeing the work, you're consuming the work. It's making you feel a way. Now you can, you know, put a, put a drop in the hat. Yeah, you can take, you can take action to make change and you can do it in a way that is, that is private and 
in a lot of ways, I think, uh, sacred. American Alters is Rosie's solo show now at Art Lit Lab in Madison. In her own words, American Alter is Rosie's attempt to embody to at embodying a journey of cultural remembrance, ancestral grief, and the emotional reckoning required of Black people on the move in America of all generations. Rosie, you talked a little bit about what it's like for you to be an artist as a Black woman in Wisconsin. Are there other artists, other Black women that you want to lift up in kind of this last couple minutes on our show um, that you think our greater community should be aware of, should be celebrating, should be supporting? Um, beyond, Beyond yourself, who locally... Are, are artists that you think we need to do a better job of, of showing up for and highlighting? Um, honestly, there's so many. Um, <laughs> there's so many. I think there are so many, like, Black visual artists, um, like, obviously, my mentor, Della, but there were, you know, 50 women in that show that were all Black women. Um, I think an area that is not so so visible for people sometimes is the um, the artistry and creative work of Black women musicians. Uh, black women media workers, um, people who are telling stories, uh, black educators, like it just, there's, there's so much, it's, this is the culture, right? It's not just, oh, visual art is this visual artist that it's, there's, there's a lot of pieces. There are, there are people who are writing beautiful critiques. There are people who are telling stories, singing songs, developing films. Like there's just so much. Thank you. Thank you for, for getting that on our, our radar and making sure folks are aware that there's so much art happening here. There's so many people who are making great art. And it is our responsibility as a community um, to make sure folks know that their work is welcome here, celebrated here, and and seen here. Rosie Petrie, uh, I want to thank you for joining us today on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Huge shout out to Jim Krell, the programs, the public programs coordinator and all for joining us today. Hopefully you all make it out to Art Literature Laboratory and check out the show. Um, it's going to be phenomenal. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that was great. And thank you, Rosie, for such a vivid discussion of, of the work. I think that will really help a lot uh, a lot of people to want to come in and, and see it. So uh, thank you so much. And thank you, Allie, for the uh, opportunity to air uh, such a vivid discussion of the work. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. I hope we get to talk again soon. Y'all have a beautiful Tuesday. Thank you. Yep. You too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs>